Have you ever wondered how to wade through all the voices out there to find your own? When Terry Smith found his voice, he became a healer. In this interview, he takes me on a deep dive and tells me how he did it. Hello, this is Judy Rodman. You're listening to All Things Vocal Podcast. This is the audio version of the blog you can find at judyrodman.com. Okay, today I'm very excited to have my friend Terry Smith on the line with me. Terry is founder and president of Coaching Life Matters based here in Nashville. He has a master's in counseling, master's of theology, and a doctorate in personality, religion, and culture from Boston University. Terry's decades of service include years of teaching and counseling on the university campus in metropolitan Boston and directing a counseling center and working at Harding University and the University of Memphis. He and his precious wife, Charlotte, have become dear friends of mine and of John's, my husband. He knows and lives his stuff. So, Terry, welcome to All Things Vocal. Well, thank you, Judy, my voice teacher. How delighted I am to get to have a conversation with you. (laughs) I got the honor of doing some voice lessons with you, uh, which was just a blast. It's made a difference. I appreciate it. Great. That's all it's about. Well, people that listen to All Things Vocal may wonder why we're talking about psychology on All Things Vocal, and that's because the voice has a heck of a lot to do with psychology. And I'd like to kind of preface our chat here with my thoughts when I called you, Terry. The voice's core mission, you know, I'm always saying it's not to be perfect, to make you famous, rich, or win an award or a record deal. It's actually to deliver a message. And if we deliver a message well enough, then some of those other things, you know, they're gravy. They come along with it. But we've got to get first things first. We're actually using the sound of the voice to deliver messages, even if it's messages to ourselves. So what I wanted to talk to you about is how we find that authentic voice within ourselves as opposed to the inauthentic or no message. How do we discover our own true voices? And I would say as a vocal coach that we start with the fact that the voice is run by our physiology. I mean, it's a physical thing, but it's right. driven It's driven by our psychology, by what we're thinking when we use it. So let's start by getting some background on you, and I've already talked a little bit about your professional background, but how did you come to be doing what you're doing? Well, thank you, Judy, for asking that question. My quest to even know I had a voice, back when I was a student at Ole Miss in 1960, and um, things were not going well, uh, and my life basically fell apart, so I won't go into that. It's just that everybody knows what it's like when you hit the bottom, and, uh, and it's empty, and it's broken, and something inside me rose to say, I've got to find out how to live because I'm dying. So I didn't know what my voice was. There was too many other voices, too many other things going on that I was sitting in absolute confusion. So probably the, I would say at that point, at 18 and a half, I knew that I better find another way to live or I was going to die. And 
probably the first thing I did was I began to pay attention to my questions, my deep questions about how to be a human being and how to not die. And uh, that's all I knew. <laughs> I knew I didn't want to die, and I've got to get up from this. You can't go home to Mama. She's not there. You can't go home to Daddy or the stepmother, and, and religion doesn't work. So I'm, I was on the bottom looking up, Judy. But that was looking yeah. back was an amazing time to reach down and pull up. There's something great in every person, and sometimes you don't know that greatness until you actually hit the bottom and say, you know, I'm not going to live here. Your healing or your choice to start healing, you had no idea at the time how much it would come into play later in your life, not only to heal yourself, but to go on and and heal others, be part of the healing process for others. So, yeah, I can't wait to get into this chat with you about what you learned <laughs> that can help us. Because the life, you know, it, it's funny, the voice is life and death. You know, when we believe lies and we act on lies and we deliver messages with lies, life doesn't work. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know, I just, I just thought of this, uh, Judy. I think singing, when I was a boy, my daddy got back from World War II in the Navy, and he would rock me, and he would sing this song, I Come to the Garden Alone, and he would sing that song to me. And then when I was a teenager, I threw newspapers, and I would be up in the dark looking at the stars. And I'd heard a song uh, when I went to church. It's called, Can You Count the Stars of Evening That Are Shining in the Sky? Can you count the clouds that daily over all the world go by? God the Father, his number knows. He knows how many numbers, and he knows their names. And I would sing these songs. I knew there was something more. I didn't know quite what it was. But singing all the Elvis's songs, uh, Rockin' Robin, uh, all those songs I sang in the 50s. So singing was a part of what I did that brought a lot of joy to me. So uh, I think the singing took me back to, is this real? Is there really someone out there who counts the stars, who knows your name? So, so I got on a spiritual quest. Mm-hmm. And that has made a difference. And for the last 56 years, I'm still on that quest, and I'm still learning and um, full of incredible gratitude. And I thought about voices as you we talked about this conversation. The voices who came to me when I was a boy, I am filled with gratitude for that grandmother who had a third-grade education when my parents divorced. And guess who was there? She was there. I just did a funeral this week that when my parents divorced, my father's first cousin was like a brother to him. She died. Well, this is the lady that took me in uh, at nine years of age and took care of me and attended to me. And so this morning, I walked kind of down the list of the deep roots of gratitude of people in my life growing up and their voices, their kindness, their compassion, just are filling me up today. So I have a voice of gratitude this morning. Does that make sense? It does. And I'd like to reiterate what you just said. The thing is, the voice is not just important to people who do this for a living, but everybody uses their voices singing and speaking every day. And that's what we're talking about, the authentic voice, the voice that changes the world and makes it a better place. And 
adds to people's lives instead of subtracting. Literally, the voice can be life or death, you know, for people and start them along better paths or give them wisdom they didn't have or just plant a little seed even, you know. So that's what you're saying. The voice is so incredibly important. So we, we need to look at that and look at what our own voices are saying and singing and what we're choosing to deliver as messages. Well, you know, Judy, and I've heard you sing, and the people that sing, sing with their whole being. Singing connects with the deepest part of the person. So singing to me was really important. Although I never had a voice lesson or a music lesson, I just listened to the radio and uh, would sing along. I'd also, singing creates endorphins. I mean, it physically creates brain chemistry changes. Yeah. And I never thought about that, but um, now that you say it, I think that's right. It makes shifts in me. And I would say to find your voice. It's really a process. It's not something all of a sudden you've got your voice. There's education. I mean, you've educated me on how to, how to sit and how to breathe. I used to talk from my neck up. But you taught me to speak from down below and gave me that little thing to squeeze and, and, mm-hmm. and exercise that I even did this morning uh, before this. So there's, there's a process, <laughs> the education of learning how to listen to your own voice. And so I'm, I'm trained to help people listen, to listen to the voice that matters, to listen to their own voice, listen to their questions. You know, when I was in college, I had a lot of questions from professors, and I didn't do very well in college. I didn't know how to study. I never read a book by choice until I was 18 and a half, and I picked that book. So I just I was performing to please on the baseball field or the tennis court, or I was the bouncer at the dances and the high school dances, and so I, I learned how to, you know, be tough and, uh, and perform to please, and I knew how to make people like me. I had a false self. And those voices worked for me to get me through. But as I became an adult, those performed to please, be good, be tough, be strong, uh, they're toxic, Judy. And they rob us yeah. hearing our own voice and really being able to really be present with other people to hear their voices. And you know what? I think that has a lot to do with the problems sometimes that entertainers, people that do this for a living, doing what they're doing, sometimes, you know, just to please the audience in the crowd rather than digging a little deeper and finding out what messages they really want to deliver and who they really are, which would best be done earlier than later. And then they feel like a fake. And I remember sort of feeling a bit fakish after singing some of the songs I did. They weren't really my messages. And then even when you're incredibly successful, you know, you see these people dying, literally dying from overdoses or, you know, having terrible ends of marriages and, you know, dysfunctional families and all this kind of stuff. It's not necessary. And I think one of the things that would keep some of that from happening is to ask these questions you're talking about so that they don't feel like a fake when they're a success. Does that make sense? Yes. The word that, that I've chosen that really resonates with me, there's an ancient proverb that says, understanding is the fountain of life. Mm-hmm. So understanding your own story is where I begin. And one of the things I do in coaching people, I do it one way like you do. You listen. You listen. You watched how I sang. You were looking for things to see how I really could do better. And you were going to give me some coaching tips, and you did. But the first thing you did was that you listened, 
you affirmed me and confirmed me, and then you offered, you confronted me with some information that I didn't have, and when I began to practice it, I began to sing more comfortably and even talk more comfortably because you understood what I was doing. As a coach, what I do is I will map people's stories over the first 18 years. And it's so interesting because when the person, when I ask the questions, they don't learn any new information, but when I take out of their head and put it structurally on the board where they see uh, cognitively and structurally what's inside their head actually in a graph, a map mm-hmm. in front of them, they see some things. It's just like you do. You had a graph, and you showed the, the path and the power and where it comes from. So you explained to me the way the body moves. Well, I help people understand their stories. And one thing they do, and I wrote a little poem this morning called Deep Roots and True Love. It says, I have deep roots and true love. I can name the people who touched my life with kindness with their hands and feet. And so my mind began to remember the people. And so I give a star by the people in the person's story who they experience delighting in them, where they experience being valued and esteemed and loved. It sort of kicks those endorphins up because you remember the kindnesses. And, in fact, I even had one, one person. I've done, you know, probably 5,000 stories, so I can't I don't remember who this was. <laughs> but the only star the guy had in his story was his grandfather's mistress. And she valued <laughs> Wow. Well, she got a star. My wife, Charlotte, she's got stars all over the board, from grandparents <laughs> on both sides and uncles and aunts and school and church and friends. So, you know, she didn't experience rejection until she was teaching the second grade. And uh, kind of like in It's a Wonderful Life, you know, and the guy got mad at the, the teacher. So anyway, Charlotte <laughs> was affirmed, well, I had to scram a little bit. Uh, parents divorcing, and so, but I had that grandmother. She got to, she gets a star. I had the neighbors who were the janitors of the school. They had a, a school where the custodians live in the house next to the school. Well, they had seven children, and they were poor, and they're the ones who took me in when my parents divorced. So, uh, you know, before this this family, the people died. I contacted them and thanked them. So, you know, by the time you're 12 years of age. Uh, Judy, you make three decisions as a child, one around security and survival. Two security around and survival, okay. Affection and esteem, love, and that's a heart. And then around power and control with the mind. So that's just a developmental personality thing. A child mm-hmm. chooses what I need to do to survive is, like, i got to be a good boy. I'm almost kicking the windshield and cursing my daddy to hell, so I thought, poor daddy. Then he married again when I was 12, and the lady was a rageaholic, very insecure. So poor daddy. So I decided I'm going to be a good boy so daddy didn't have to have a problem with me. And then around affection and esteem, I learned from the neighbors across the street to play baseball and sports and, and to sing and to dance. And so I performed to please. That's what my little 12-year-old said he's got to do. And then uh, there were bullies in my life as a little boy, and my neighborhood buddy said, I'm going to tell you how to handle a bully. You just bust him in the mouth, and that'll stop it. Well, I hit the guy <clears throat> one time, and that was it. And they had patted me on the back. So my core belief by the time I was seven years old was be tough and don't show weakness. Well, mm-hmm. I, I got in a few fights, and uh, but usually I was able to bluff them, and I didn't have to get whipped, you know. Uh, and then when I was a bouncer at the dances, I just <laughs> – 
had so many friends, if they whipped me, they'd have to whip 10 people behind me. So I had <laughs> core beliefs that were helped me as a child, but as an adult, you're not good all the time. And when I hit Ole Miss, and I was not good, I was flunking all my classes, I was cursing like a sailor, I was uh, just out of my brain. I was flunking my courses, and I was not strong. I was not tough. I was falling apart. So when though all those little boy beliefs collapsed on me at 18, so I was going to die or find another way. So I had to find my voice or I would die. So I map people's stories so they can understand who's talking. When you mm-hmm. get under stress, I like a performance. You get under stress where you want to please everybody. Well, you need to go underneath it a little bit and know that the bottom line is you are loved, you are valued. Whether you have a hit song people, or not. Mm-hmm. I help people get to that core truth that you are loved, and it makes sense to people, and then it helps them kind of get unstuck. When they're alone, they learn to sit, and they like being with themselves. So if you like being with yourself, then people can pick it up, and you're free to be you. So I, I train people. Like you trained me to be free to find Terry's voice, not sing like Elvis or Dean Martin or Frank Sinatra. Find Terry's voice. So I help people find their voice, their soul center, and like being with themselves. And that's a process, and that's a discipline. Does that make sense? It does. And here's uh, something I was thinking as you were talking so cool that you do that mapping out on a board and you put stars by people who have been affirming. And here's the deal. What I find is that a lot of times we don't trust the voice that says you're loved or you're good because we feel so, you know, we feel like that must be a fake because I'm not that good. So we don't trust, we don't even recognize that they're affirming us. But when you call attention to it, all of a sudden we remember, oh, yeah, somebody said something good, you know. Yeah. After I map people's story and they name those 12-year-old beliefs and how they act when they get under stress, and a lot of people are funny after they do it when they find themselves acting out, they say, well, who's talking? And they recognize it's their 12-year-old. But here's what I do, here's what I do next. This is very interesting. I said, now I want you to use your imagination and put your arm around your 12-year-old and tell her or him how were you wounded as a child? And, you know, they look at me and they turn their head and they remember when they were around 12 the stories, the moments where they, for example, my core wound was abandonment. I didn't see my mother for 18 years. Daddy wasn't able to be a daddy. He lost his daddy. So I felt abandoned. And then I'll say, what's your interpretation of that wound? Children are the world's best recorders and worst interpreters. So what I hear from people is exactly what you just said. Well, I'm just not good enough. I'm less than. I don't measure up. And so there's that lie. Here's information that I'm giving you and whoever's listening to this. You need to hear this. 95% of people's behavior is driven by that unconscious lie. I'm not good enough. I'm less than. I don't measure up. Or mine was I'm responsible to make people okay. So that lie needs to be dealt with. And I have a process to help people deal with that lie and then replace it with the core truth that you're loved. But that's a process, Judy. It's not a formula or a quick fix. 
it's just good coaching tips, just like you gave me on how to find my voice. Does that make sense? It does. And, uh, you know, I'm reflecting on what you're saying and re-remembering that what you did is like, I I call God the great compost maker (laughs) because he takes the really the crap of our lives and turns it into fertilizer if we let him turn you know that which is god the power greater than we are however we understand that if we let ourselves be loved if we let the stuff of our lives the bad stuff of our lives be Uh turned over then it can turn into not only healing fertilizer for our own lives but then look what you've done with it and that's what i would say to everybody listening here everybody's voice is important and right. everybody's voice can actually make the world a better place. So take your voice seriously and right. dig into what you're saying, both to yourself silently and to others, because those two things kind of go together. Let me piggyback, sure. let me piggyback that. This is where your greatest gift is. You get to choose. Mm-hmm. We get to choose who defines our value. Now, That lie, I'm less than, not good enough, I'm responsible to fix the world, that has to be dealt with. And the good news is you can decide that that's not true, and then there's a process of not allowing the lie to rob you of being yourself. And this is where it's a spiritual journey. This is not about religion. It's about relationship. We are physical, mental, social, emotional, and spiritual beings, And so the person, when they begin to train to recognize we're spiritual beings and we're larger than any pain and we get to decide, here's the kicker. There needs to be a decision that you're larger than that pain and that lie is a 12-year-old lie. And you renounce it and revoke it, but you replace it with the core truth that I am loved. And I'm seeking to reinforce the messages that I have already been given through my grandmother, through that second grade teacher, through my best friend, through that uncle, that aunt, that you got when you were a child, that love was there before you were even aware of it. Now as an adult, you need to use your mind and seek what's true and what's real. And when a person decides, Judy, to seek what's true, guess what? They'll find it. Because you're going to mm-hmm. find what you're looking for. You're going to find what you're looking for. The reason people don't find it is they're looking for something else. If you're not looking for what's true, you're not going to see it. Now, I'm not pushing religion, and I'm not trying to get people to go to church, in quotation marks. What I think is important is that you learn to think, and you can think, and you can figure it out. My grandmother, with a third-grade education, figured it out. She was loved, and guess what? She loved those four little children who were abandoned by their mother and father. Because love, the the key is love, Judy, Mm -hmm. is that uh, if we will look back and just start remembering the people who loved you, who cared about you, and then keep looking, and it's a process, it's a journey, and guess what? You will find the people that you need to be with who are authentic and loving yeah, and then love is very much like yeast. It starts to move on through your life and touch other people's. And that's, that's, a, right. that's the coolest thing. Your work centers around, you know, getting people to come to that realization that they are loved. And then the truth is that that informs their voice. 
love is not about ourselves. It's not narcissistic. It's the opposite. If it's really love and we really come to the point where we realize we're loved just because we're breathing, that actually becomes like a river and it goes out to nourish other people's lives through our voices and our actions. So let's move on to this. How does this inform the song choices that we make or or the speeches that we choose to give? Well, I love to hear people sing that are authentic. When I listen to a speaker, I listen if he's speaking from his very being. He's coming out of who he is, and he's got a message that he's thought through and processed and given time to really communicate it. So if you're authentic, if you like sleeping with yourself and you're Mm -hmm. hungry to just know what's true, whatever your gift is, if it's singing, it'll come through. If it's writing poetry, it'll come through. Uh, it's, it's like in the Bible, Paul talks about you're God's workmanship or you're God's poetry. In the Greek, it's poeo, you're God's poetry. And so uh, when you hear something, a song or a poem or a speaker, if they're speaking out, the, out of the center of joy, it comes through. For example, I'll give you an example. One day I flew from Boston to Memphis to meet with a mentor of mine. He was um, 96 years old. And I was having a hard time up in Boston. I was running a frontline center called uh, Resources for Life Center, meeting people that have been abused by religion, about a lot of stuff. And then I was thinking it was my job to fix everybody, and I was wearing out. And so I went and sat down with this older man, and I called him and said, I said, Dr. Irons, I said, I just read something that blows my mind. In fact, it sounds like blasphemy. And the problem is Jesus is the one who said it, and I don't know what to do with it. And he said, what's that? So Jesus had a dying prayer, Judy, before they killed him. And his disciples, who were a bunch of gun runners, guerrilla war fighters, and most people don't know that because they don't read the story. <laughs> they, they had 5,000 men on the backside of the desert six months before Jesus was killed. And groups of 50 and 100 ready to go to war. Well, we know that is the feeding of the 5,000. Well, what in the world were they doing there? They were wow. sick of the Romans. And they, they despised them and they wanted to kill him. And they thought Jesus was their leader. Well, when he threw cold water in their face and told them to get out of there. And so all of these guys, my point is, all of these people who were with him betrayed him. This was his prayer. Father, help them understand you love them as much as you love me. Well, that doesn't make any sense. These guys screwed him, you know. Mm-hmm. And so what does he do when he rises from the dead? Peter, the one who made the biggest promise, <clears throat> cursed and swore he never knew him, stabbed him in the back. And Jesus goes, the first thing he does on Sunday afternoon, he goes and finds Peter, puts his arm around him, and says, you're okay with me. <laughs> he just shot through Peter's core beliefs that he adopted as a child. Be strong. Take charge. Be the best. I'm better than these other guys. And he said, and Peter felt worthless. His lie was, I'm worthless. Well, Jesus puts his arm around him and says, no, you're not worthless. You're my beloved friend, and that won't ever change. Well, that that's the truth about God, is he loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Now, <laughs> that's, duty, that's really amazing. Religion doesn't get that to people. Somehow it's a hidden, it's veiled. I may condemn myself. But lo and behold, the creator of the universe doesn't. 
And when people rest in that and practice living out of that, whether they're a singer, a poet, a teacher, lawyer, a doctor, they're coming out of who they are and whose they are, and they bring joy wherever they go. Circumstances will not define you. Whether you get the applause or nobody even applauds because you're okay with you. And that's where your field is so important, and you're training people to sing, that when they take a song and they sing it, to think about its meanings because it's going to have an impact. Mm-hmm. And I think singing is the best way to get a story across. Well, yeah. Terry, tell me a little bit about, as we wrap things up, I could talk to you all day because it's so interesting how the voice and psychology in our spiritual connection to that which is greater than us go together and how if we get this right our voices actually become more valuable both to ourselves and to other people how can people get in touch with you to either get some help or to support what you're doing with donations well you can go to the website it's coachinglifematters.com we're a nonprofit educational organization, and I work a lot with, for example, soldiers. Uh, we have 20 soldiers a day taking their life. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, I work helping people get unstuck. One of the things I love to do is premarital coaching to help people understand their stories and to understand when mm-hmm. their 12-year-old is talking where they can laugh and not take themselves too seriously when they get in a the pickle. They understand what's happening. So a person can go to my website coachinglifematters.com, and I don't charge people for what I do. The reason I don't is um, sometimes, you know, people are just down and out, and they don't have the money. And people make donations who want to pay it forward to make it available to people who can't afford it. I'm a life coach, and although I've got all these credentials and was licensed, I decided I'm not going to be tagged as a therapist or a counselor because it's a mutual conversation. When people share their stories with me, I'll tell them how my story is similar or different. Or I do it in groups of people when they do stories with, with one another. And I'm getting ready to go to Israel in March to work in a clinic there helping people deal with trauma. I spent this last year in India for, for a month, and I did 40 stories. These were an alcoholic rehab, and, and then young ladies coming out of the sex trade trafficking in India, incredible stories. And I saw the greatness of human beings, people overcoming incredible odds. And so what I do is help people understand the way human beings work and what matters. And the greatest thing is they get out of it is they realize they matter. Well, Terry, this has been just an honor to uh, pick your brain about the importance of the voice and the importance of the voices we listen to and the voices we express. So thank you so much for being with us here. And I would love it if you would just sing something a cappella for us. Would you do that? <laughs> well, I thought you might ask that. The dream, the impossible dream, to fight the unbeatable foe, to bear with unbearable sorrow, to run where the brave do not go, to rise the unrightable wrong, to be better far than you are, to try when your arms are too weary, to reach the unreachable star, 
This is my quest to follow that star, no matter how hopeless, no matter how far, to fight for the right without question or pause, to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause, and I know if I'll only be true to this glorious quest, then my heart will lie peaceful and calm when I lay to my rest. And the world will be better for this, that one man, scorned and covered with scars, still strove with his last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable That was Terry Smith. Again, you can find him online at coachinglifematters.com. This is Judy Rodman. See you next time for All Things Vocal, the podcast for singers, speakers, vocal coaches, and studio producers.